If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 3, we will read the entire chapter in preparation for the message. Ephesians 3 and verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. As you can see by now, we are going to be spending more time in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, it seems like a lot to cover in a short time. I hope that doesn't scare some of you to thinking this might be a long sermon. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about the book of Ephesians. I've enjoyed studying so far, um, and I kind of look forward to the next three chapters of practical work, and maybe that's why I'm slipping through this chapter rather quickly. There is so much in this chapter. As you read it, and as you heard Nate read it, it probably was a little confusing in some ways and mysterious in some ways, and hopefully this morning we can reveal some of that mystery um, that's found in chapter 3. I'd like to just review the first two chapters real quick here. We went through chapter 1 and 2, saw some amazing things God had done through Jesus Christ. We heard words like uh, deep theology, like redemption, justification, the word predestination, dispensation. 
Um, Paul was trying to open our eyes up to what Christ had done for us. We looked at how we were lost in our trespasses and sin, but God in his great mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, it says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. We know those verses, exciting verses. And then we looked at the purpose of the church last, in the last sermon. And today we come to chapter 3, a transitional chapter, a chapter of prayer, or first of all, it's a chapter of revealing the mystery, and then at the end of the chapter, we have an amazing prayer that Paul gives, I want to say, to us as a church here at Weavertown and to all the churches um, throughout all ages. But before we start there, I'd like to just do a quick, um, well, let's just go to verse 3, first of all, and then I might want to mention a few things here from um, verse 3. This verse 3 has always been a little confusing to me. Um, I never could quite understand what is Paul getting at when he says, For this cause I, Paul, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of this dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. What is Paul saying here in the beginning of this chapter about being a prisoner and about being a prisoner um, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. But we know this morning that Paul was in prison for us today. And you say, what does that mean? Um, and I'm going to go maybe back to Acts 20 and just do a brief um, uh, history of what had gone on in Paul's life before this. It seems like Paul is thinking about something. Um, and we're going to step back. Something about chapter verse... Let me step back here. What is this for this cause Paul is talking about here in verse 1? And then in verse 14, he says it again, for this cause. And then he starts praying in verse 14. But it looks like in verse 1, he's about ready to pray, and then all of a sudden something comes to his mind, and he goes on a spiel for 14 verses, and then he starts his prayer. We're going to get into those 14 verses briefly, and then we're going to get into his prayer too. But before we do that, I'd just like to figure out what this for this cause means. Um, something about verse 22 in chapter 2 may have something to do with this. And in him you are that are in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Something to do with the church. So this, for, this cause has something to do with the church. But it also seems like Paul is thinking about something, and in his mind, he's wondering, and his mind is wondering when he says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you had heard of the dispensation of the grace of which God was given to me to you word. I believe in his mind he was wondering, his mind was wondering about his journey the last five years. And you say, what was his journey? Well, first of all, where was Paul at at this time? In verse 1. He's in Rome, and he's in prison, okay? And the last five years, he's been in prison, different places. And I think his mind is going back to five years ago when he was on the shores of the, uh, was in the beach in Ephesus with the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he was kneeling down. If you want to, just turn to Acts chapter 20, and I want to do a, a brief, um, just a brief background of the last five years of Paul's life. 
And I can't make this long because we want to get into chapter 3 here. But turn to Acts chapter 20 and look at this. And I think this is pretty important for us to understand this part of for this cause part. For this cause, for you Gentiles, because that's us, okay? That's us as a church. In Acts chapter 20, he's at the beach, and he's there with the elders, and he says, I am going to leave you. And he's going where? He's going to Jerusalem. He is compelled to go back to his roots after maybe 15 to 20 years of being a missionary journey. He is going back to Jerusalem to his people. Um, And he says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. Saying this to the church of Ephesus. And remember, that's the book we're we're studying right now. He says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And he gets on the boat, and he goes to Tyra. Now, these things kind of pop out in my mind because we were just in these cities a few months ago. And from Tyra, he goes to Caesarea. And for our family here, that was at Caesarea. You remember that? It was one of the first places we went to see. And in Caesarea, there is a group of men come from Jerusalem up to see him. And they said, and one man grabs him and takes his belt off and puts it around his hands and feet, uh, puts it around Paul and says, the man who has this belt is going to be bound in Jerusalem. Prophesied about Paul. And from Caesarea, he goes with these men from Caesarea into Jerusalem. And then as he goes into Jerusalem, um, he goes into a town, or goes into a house, and then after that he meets with Jesus' brother, James, who's the bishop of um, the church there in Jerusalem, of the Jews. Well, after that, the men, of the, or I should say the Jewish believers there, tell him, you better purify yourself, because some of those people that are not going to believe that you are truly a Jew, that you truly still hold to what, um, what's... Uh, what the Jews say you should be holding to, what the Christian Jews are actually doing. And Paul says, I am still a Jew. I still hold to all the traditions of Jews. I'm circumcised. I do all the sacrifices. I do everything. So he purifies himself. And after seven days of purification, there's men from Asia come up and say, start to see you try it. Um, and in the middle of the riot, um, of course, the commanders, uh, the uh, the um, the Roman commanders come and wonder what's going on and take Paul out and take him to the barracks. Um, And the story goes on. Um, As he's at the barracks, Paul um, just about gets killed. The commander saves him. Um, And then he tells the commander, I want to go talk to these people. So they let him talk and he gives his whole story. And in his story, the story is going well. He's telling the the Jewish people in um, Jerusalem about his conversion. And for eight to ten, or for about ten verses there, he tells his story in chapter 20. And the story is fine, and they're listening to his story till he tells them a certain thing. What's he tell them? In verse um, 23, in chapter 20. Now, I know that none of you among you... But as soon as he's tasked of testifying the gospel, as soon as he says that I'm going to be giving this gospel to the Gentiles, the people just start rioting again. And that's a huge riot. The commander grabs Paul, carries him by it, says it carries him by the, um, picks him up and carries him and takes him to the barracks. And there he's about to, and there he's like, what is going on with this man? And he's about to put him on the rack and about to whip him. And Paul says, well, he says, I am a Roman. You can't do this to me. And the guy, like, oh my goodness, I, I'm, about to, I'm about to whip a Roman and I can't do this. And he takes Paul um, and takes him out of the rack and says, do you want to speak to the Jews? And he said, yeah, I want to speak to their Sanhedrin. And he goes into their Sanhedrin, speaks to the Jews there, um, 
And about the time he gets in there and he, he talks about ready to talk, um, the high priest says, somebody slap him over the face. He can't talk like that. And, of course, the story goes on in chapter 21 um, where he um, rebukes the high priest, not realizing he's rebuking the high priest. And later on, um, he says, I am of the sect that believes in the resurrection. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees have this big fight. Um, and he ends up going to Caesarea because they, they're trying to, um, because of the fight, he ends up going to Caesarea. And there he talks to Felix. And later on, he talks to uh, Festus. Um, who is the next governor, and he spends two years in Caesarea. Now, when we were in Caesarea, we saw they were just digging a place where they thought was a prison cell, and they thought probably Paul was actually in that prison. Uh, the prison cell was right next to Herod's um, great um, house that he had built right along in Caesarea, and we could see the ruins there today. Anyways, he, takes, he speaks to Felix, after two years, Felix gets kicked out as governor. Um, long story short of what happened to Felix, he had an interesting man who um, was married to a Jew. Um, but he speaks to Felix, and Felix is, is in the middle of, of being governor and gets kicked out of gov- as a governor. And then they bring in Festus, and Festus is the next governor. So Paul gets a chance to speak to Festus, and Festus tries to make a treaty with the Jews. The first thing he tried to do when he became governor was to take care of this Paul problem as a prisoner. And he goes and speaks to the, um, and he speaks to the Jews and says, what should I do with Paul? And they said, bring him to Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, I'm not going to Jerusalem because if I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to end up getting killed. So he appeals to Caesar. And the interesting thing, three days after he appeals to Caesar, King Agrippa, or Herod Agrippa, comes to visit Festus, this new governor, and Herod is above Agrippa. If we know anything about the Herods, they were great men over the, um, they were kings over the, the kings over Judea at that time. And he comes to visit Festus, and Paul gives his story of his conversion to King Agrippa, to Herod. And he tells a story, and he's in the middle of the story, and Herod says, almost you, almost you convinced me to become a Christian. This is Herod of Agrippa. He was one of the greatest men of that time. Caesar only, be a, Caesar only above him. Herod says, this guy's innocent. You can't put him on trial. He didn't do anything wrong. But because he appealed to Caesar, we have to let him go to Caesar. So he gets, so he gets over, uh, so he is sent by ship again. You know the story of the shipwreck. And he ends up in prison in Rome, waiting trial to speak to Caesar. Um, and while he's in trial in Rome, the Jews come to him, and he preaches to the Jews there and gives, his conver- and gives him his story there um, of his conversion. Now, the interesting part of this story that I left out is that when Paul was in Jerusalem about to speak or about to take place in the past or about to take part of the Passover, he takes with him a Ephesian Greek. Now, he never brings this Ephesian Greek. His name was um, Trosimus. He never brings him into the temple. But Trosimus was a Gentile and had no right and was not allowed into the temple, of course, because he was a Gentile. But when he brings him, brings him to Jerusalem, they claim that he brought him to the temple and he defiled the temple and that Paul is bringing this Greek into Jerusalem. Now, this Greek was from where? He was from Ephesus. So when Paul tells the story here in chapter 1, or 
verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, for you Gentiles. He is talking right here about, I am in prison because of your church at Ephesus and for you Gentiles here at Ephesus. Because of somebody actually from your congregation is the reason I'm in prison. And he says, I'm in prison for you. Um, And that's how the chapter starts. And so we see Paul here in verse 1 saying, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you had heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to you to us word. So that's the background of the story. And let's get into the chapter now um, and see what Paul has for us in chapter 3 here um, from Ephesians chapter 3. Now we see why Paul is thinking, what he's thinking when he says, for this cause I, a prisoner of Paul. Verse 1, Paul comes to prayer, and right after he says, I'm a prisoner. Remember, he's in Rome right now writing this story to the Ephesians, or writing this letter to the Ephesians about um, what we read, what we're reading here this morning. Um, Paul then ends, and, and he's just about to tell them um, he's just about to go into prayer, and before he goes into prayer, he says, I have to tell you about the mystery. And then he spends the next 10 verses talking about the mystery, and then we come to Paul's prayer. Before we get into this, I want to just mention three scenes that we're going to find here in this chapter. And the first scene is found in verse 10, a very interesting scene. This scene in verse 10 shows, uh, I'm not going to read that verse, we'll get to it in a bit, shows God... It, The first scene in verse 10 shows God showing the world and especially the hidden dark world of demons and angels through the church the amazing mystery of Christ. In verse 10 it says that we as a church have an opportunity to show the amazing mystery of Christ and the church to the demons and to the people um, and to the angels um, in the unseen world. Then the second scene we're going to come to here is a scene in verse, um, I think, 14. And we see, I'm sorry, verse 13. The second scene, we see Paul in prison explaining how God chooses suffering for, of those in the church to show God's great riches. So the second scene, Paul is saying, I choose suffering to show your great riches. And the third scene we see is where we see Paul in that prison cell. I just picture this kneeling down, as in, in, in chains probably, kneeling down and praying for the church of Ephesus. And I like to say praying for each one of us here at Weavertown too. And the prayer we see here is a prayer for us as a church or for the church at that point to see the great riches of Christ. A prayer that I think is so important for, that we can take personal for us here at Weavertown. So let's get started um, in our chapter here now, in chapter 3, and let's look at what is Paul's de- definition of mystery. Now, you just, we just went through this, seven verses, and we saw the word mystery four times. Now, we heard this word mystery before, I think probably as a five-year-old already, we heard of the word mystery, and it kind of is curious and kind of gets us exciting. We read mystery stories, and um, we Um, try to learn all we can about mystery. Well, what is this mystery? Well, what Paul's definition of mystery that he uses in these four words is the mystery, as Paul is using here in this chapter, is something that was concealed 
and I'm sorry, something that was concealed in the past and now revealed to us today. Something hidden from the world and revealed. So this mystery that we're going to learn about was something that was hidden before Christ came and now revealed to us as a church or revealed to Christians today. The Holy Spirit is revealing it to us today. By the way, the job of the Holy Spirit is actually to reveal these riches to us as a church. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He reveals the, the riches of what Christ did for us. You could also look at it as, as a sacred secret for us. Paul is giving us that sacred secret that we should know about. That's what that mystery is. So what is this, so what is this mystery that's revealed? What is this mystery? Um, you can see a little bit in the end of chapter 2, he talks a little bit. And I'll be real honest with you, it's still hard to articulate or put words to what this mystery is. But I'm just going to talk about two things that I see in this mystery. <clears throat> the mystery we found in, chapter, in the last chapter, we see it again in verse 6, says that, the, you can look at verse 6 if you want to find out what the mystery is. Here it is. Um, that the Gentile believers would be heirs of the same great promises of the Jews, and they together would make one body the church. Okay, there's the mystery. Now, there's a lot of mysteries found in, in the New Testament. This is only one. So when we're talking about mysteries, it's not always talking about this mystery. But this mystery that we're reading about in chapter, two, or chapter 3 is the mystery that the Gentile believers would be heirs of the same great promise of the Jews. And now you say, well, you didn't really help me out a whole lot with that mystery. What does that actually mean? How do I put that mystery to practice? What does that mean to me today? I think a little bit about um, the song we just sang, um, or maybe even our Sunday school class. Um, we spend time talking about what God did, what Christ did for us. Okay? That's what that mystery is, that we as Gentiles, us here as a church, can take part and the redemption. And a lot of you are saying, well, what's the big deal about that? I've had that all my life. Sure, God owes us redemption. But you don't understand. You are a Gentile. And you remember what Paul just went through? Why did Paul just go through all these five years of trials? Because he was preaching to the Gentiles, to us. Okay? He was exposing the mystery to us, to we Gentiles. It's never happened before. And how did they like it that Paul exposed this? They didn't like it. The Jews hated it. They were so upset about it. They rioted every time Paul would say something about, this is for the Gentiles, remember? They hated him so much that they were willing to have an ambush and, I guess, go to war against the Romans to capture Paul and kill him. Every time Paul would say something about, this is for us here at Weavertown, for us Gentiles, the Jews just went crazy, and they threw riots. And they said, we can't put up with this. The Gentiles should not be part. They're evil people. We are evil, he would say. The Jews would say that. Um, and they didn't like the thought of the Gentiles. Um, so this mystery has something to do with us receiving what the Jews thought they had. This mystery is being revealed today in the church of Jesus Christ. And here's where it gets a little hard for me to... Kind of just understand. But our responsibility as a church is to reveal the mystery, the riches of Jesus Christ. And so when we were sitting in Sunday school class and we were talking about the, um, the, the demon-possessed man and we started discussing, that was me. 
I was saved. Those are stories we should be telling. Those are stories we should be revealing as a church, and we do that together as a church. That is part of the mystery. When we as a church can reveal the change that God made in my life, in our lives, what the gospel did, what redemption does for us, then the mystery is revealed, given. That's our responsibility. That's for us as a church to do. So what is the purpose in revealing this amazing mystery? Okay? Now I know we're saying, what is this mystery? I think I kind of understand it. It's about sharing, you know, what God did for us as a church together. As Gentiles, we get to do this. But what was the purpose? Verses 7 to 13 give us that purpose. And I'm going to go through those um, fairly quickly here today. Um, The amazing purpose in revealing this. If you look at and just follow with me, if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 3, let's go to verse 7, and let's just take a quick look. I'm going to read verse 7 to 9 and help us understand. There's five purposes I'm going to give for revealing this mystery. Verse 7, Wherefore I made it, was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things in Jesus Christ. Part of this mystery, part of the purpose of revealing the mystery is that we would make people knowing what Jesus did for us. I talked about that before. We have an amazing job as a church, and that is to reveal God's great riches. I'm serious about that. So we did in Sunday school class. That's what we did in our singing. That's what we did in our devotional. That's why we come together, to reveal God's great riches among each other and to the world around us. And in order for us to do that, Verse 7 says, in order for us to do that, we need to first of all see it as a gift given to us. Grace of God. Okay? And I think that's sometime in our Sunday school lesson we were struggling. How could the demon-possessed man be so verbal and so excited and, and share it so well? And how come I miss that? Because we don't realize it's a gift. We don't deserve. The second thing we see in, 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 in verse, um, go back to verse 5, is this we need to understand it is given by the power of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. So if we have a hard time talking about God's riches, what Christ did in my life, it's not because he didn't save us from much. It's not because we were demon-possessed and now we were saved. It's because the Holy Spirit isn't... We're not allowing the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is what reveals that mystery to people around us. It's what's gets us excited about telling about the mystery. So when the Holy Spirit's alive in our lives, we're going to be bubbling and we're going to be telling people. The Holy Spirit was alive in that demon-possessed man. We know that because of uh, how many people became saved because of him. I'm sure we don't consider Paul the... Oh, and then the third thing we see, and this is kind of go with our devotion this morning, um, in verse uh, verse 8. I'm going to read that again. This is Paul writing this. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. I just said that. Paul, less than the least of all saints. I know we've struggled with that before. But when we consider ourselves the less of the least of the saints, then we may have an opportunity to share God's riches. 
I'm guessing that demon-possessed man thought he was nothing, thought he was base, had no pride in his life. And because of that, he could share and reveal that mystery. Till we are there, till we put away our pride as people, as a church, as a congregation, we won't be able to share that mystery. And then we get to verse 9. And here we see Paul is getting so excited about this mystery. He says, I want to let all men know about this amazing mystery. Do we have this kind of excitement? Now, I'm not sure where Paul got it. I don't know if he was drinking a lot of coffee or what made him such an um, enthusiastic person, but he was extremely excited about sharing the mystery, about sharing the gospel, about sharing the riches. Um, and he says we should have that same excitement. The reason he is so excited is because he knows he was given that secret hidden mystery. I'm going to just say for us here, I know it's been 2,000 years since Paul has said this, but we have been given that secret, that hidden revealed secret about what Christ does in our lives when he comes into our lives. And we need to be able to be willing to share it to people around us. Um, That's what Paul had, and that's what Paul is saying we need. We all have this secret now and should be as excited as Paul about that. I think about my brother Crit when we went to um, Israel, and I could just see this picture again. I think maybe Nate got him kind of excited about um, Jewish evangelism. But before we ever got in the plane at JFK, we were in a big plane, and most of the people there were Orthodox Jews. And before we got, even got into the plane, I think he had witnessed the four different Jewish people. And I remember the one lady he was witnessing to, and he was in the middle of Isaiah 53, sharing what Christ did um, for the Jewish people, and her plane was about to leave. And we finally realized that she better get on her plane. And so we told her, hey, look, your plane's about to leave. I think you might be. And she quickly ran to her plane. Um, but I can just remember the picture on Crit's face as he was just expounding the gospel to these Jewish people. That's the kind of excitement we all need to have every day about sharing the gospel. And I'll be the first to admit, it is so easy for me to just live my life um, when there's people around me who want to hear the gospel, but I'm too busy. I got other things to do. Um, And that comes from just not being excited about what God has for us. The second thing we see here... um, So others would know about the great riches. We got that one. So Satan and all the demons can see the great wisdom of God. Now look at verse 10. It's an interesting verse. To the intent now that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What does that mean? The principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. So we have this sacred mystery that we can share to who? To demons and to angels. Paul's saying that. The word manifold means multicolored, or in this verse, the word means many angles and dimensions and colors of God's great wisdom. We not only should be excited to tell the secret to the world, but we should be excited to let the unseen world around us know about this secret, this wonderful mystery of God's great riches. You say, what are they amazed about? Why would the demons be amazed at this mystery? Now, let me tell you something. When a demon sees what God, that God is willing to die on the cross and take on the wrath, my wrath, on himself, for a wretched person like me, 
the demon says, uh-uh, that don't make sense. Why would he do that? And they're amazed. Every time one of us are saved and or share the riches of what God does in us, the demon is like, it just does not make sense. And angels too. That God would die for that person? For this person? No, he shouldn't do that, they are saying. And yet, they are just baffled. And Paul is saying here that when we become born again, we are a testimony to the demons and to the um, unseen world. Verse 11, we see another purpose of the mystery. So all can see God's eternal purpose being accomplished. Verse, I'm going to read verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, so what is this eternal purpose? John Phillips explains it this way, and maybe I'll just read this um, from John Phillips and then we'll move on. God's eternal purpose like this is God's plan which centered in the church are a part of his eternal purpose. He made his plans before time began before the rustle of the angel's wings disturbed the silence of eternity. God was not surprised by Adam's sin or Lucifer's fall. God in his omnipotence and omnipotent wisdom foresaw these tragic events. His answer was the cross of Christ, reared on a skull-shaped hill on a rebel planet in a remote corner of the galaxy. Through the cross, he displayed his wisdom, his love, his power as a means of redeeming fallen man and rebuking fallen angels. How wonderful it is that God had this in mind for us. He created the stars. He wrote our names in his heart before he created the world. If we understand God's eternal purpose, it will help us understanding, understand the suffering in our lives. Um, I think that's so true. And that brings us to the next one verse, um, in verse 12. So we know we can approach God through Jesus Christ. This is the fourth reason that we are given this mystery or that we should reveal this mystery so we can know that we can approach God through Jesus Christ. And you say, approach God through Jesus Christ, and we are sitting here so casually this morning and just kind of um, taking it in like, sure, we can approach God. Sure, we can get down on our knees and pray to our Heavenly Father. But this isn't something before Jesus Christ came that was possible. The Jews understood that. They knew the holiness of God. They knew that it was not possible for them to approach their Heavenly Father one-on-one. So when Christ came, and the Gentiles, they didn't have a chance. They had to go through the Jews actually even to, to get to God. So their chance of getting to God seemed impossible. So the Jews and the Gentiles alone at this time understood this mystery, and the incredible opportunity they had because of Jesus Christ um, to be able to have access to the Father. So how do we have access to the Father? Because of Jesus Christ, one commentator says it this way, we can have boldness and access into the Holy of Holies, to the throne of grace, and to know the God, and to know God the Father seated on his throne. Christ is our way of access to God the Father, Union with Jesus Christ gives us a right to access to God the Father. And this is something that there was no access for before. So we see today we all can approach our Holy Father through Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the next one, verse 13. 
Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. So we can see God's glory being revealed in suffering. So the fifth way, um, the fifth reason or purpose for revealing his amazing mystery is so God's glory can be revealed through our suffering. Now we say, well, that doesn't sound nice. Um, that sounds hard. But God wanted, Paul wanted God's glory to be revealed through his suffering. And I think we shouldn't be any different today in our church. When we go through suffering, when someone's hurting, when we're hurting in our church and we're suffering from something, the purpose for that suffering is for God's glory to be revealed, for his mystery to be revealed. Because when people see someone walk through suffering and they, they see people um, dealing with the suffering that they're um, going through um, they, and they see them come out victorious, they can see God's riches. Um, and that's what Paul's saying. That's what he said here in the, in the first... Um, he says, my suffering, me being a prisoner, is an opportunity for you to see God's glory being revealed, for you to see this mystery being revealed. Paul is writing this epistle to the Ephesians in prison in Rome, where he was in prison for the last five years. Paul was literally in prison, like I said earlier, because he was falsely accused of taking someone from their church, Church of Ephesus, into the temple. Paul doesn't want the church to get discouraged by his suffering. He wants them to understand and realize that his suffering is for their glory, and so they can be saved. I believe it's the same way for us today. The ch in the church. Our work and our suffering for Christ brings glory to the church and is a tool for others to be saved. How many of us have been suffering for the things we have done um, or for, for Christ? Uh, and when we're doing that, it gives us an opportunity to reveal, reveal that mystery. Paul, when he thinks about his suffering, he went through for the church of Ephesus. And when he thinks about what God did for him, it brings us to the next thing. Paul gets down on his knees, and at, in verse 14, we see um, the prayer. So that brings us to the last part of this chapter. I know I'm getting through this very quickly, um, hopefully quickly. Um, but we see Paul's amazing prayer. And I'm just going to go through the three petitions that Paul has in his prayer. So in Paul's prayer, we see three petitions he makes for the church. And I'd like to say these are three petitions for our church here at Weavertown. The first petition Paul comes to is that Christ, and look at verse 17. I'm skipping over some things. I think we could um, learn a lot about prayer. Um, we should probably have, just take this last eight verses and, and study um, prayer, prayer life. But we see something about Paul's prayer here. And I'm going to just mention three things. And the petition Paul makes for the church, and I'd say for the, our church here at Weavertown. The first petition is found in verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's a petition that we should, if you want something to pray about for us here at Weavertown, pray that Christ would dwell in each one of our hearts by faith. Basically saying that we would have, we would continue in our faith. That we wouldn't quit. That we wouldn't give up. Paul says in Galatians 2, Christ liveth in me. And then he goes on and says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, listen to this verse. This is almost um, maybe a little scary of a verse, but I'm just going to read this verse. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul is saying this. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Okay? He's praying that we are all in the faith. 
something we should pray about. This is a petition we should make for each other here in the church. He goes on to say, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail that test? Now, this is the NIV. Um, and he goes on to say, Christ has not come as a temporary visitor. He has come, uh, I should say, um, I want to go on to say there, Christ has not come as a temporary visitor. He has come permanently to live in our lives. We need to test ourselves. Are we in the faith? Is Christ living in our lives? Um, and I think the test of that is always the fruits of the Spirit. Um, John 5, 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. But we need to continue to pray that Christ may dwell in the hearts of everyone's lives here at Weavertown. Second petition he prays for, um, for the church of Ephesus, and I'd like to say for the church here at Weavertown, is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Petition for us today. Are we rooted and grounded in love? And how do we do that? What does that mean, being? We've heard those words probably often um, as a child here at Weavertown. Are you rooted and grounded in love? Um, to know the love of Christ, we need to be rooted in Christ and his word. I think that's kind of simple. To be rooted... To have a base, we need to get into the Word of God, right? We need to know the Word of God. Um, but the second part says grounded. Now, what does that word grounded mean? Um, the word grounded has more the idea of um, strength or architectural stability. It is what keeps us stable. The Bible not only gives us life, but it gives us stability and strength. It does all this, it does all this by teaching us through the Word, the love of Christ. So, Brothers and sisters, we have to, as Christians, if we're going to stay strong in the faith, if we're going to be rooted and grounded in love, we need to be in his word. And not only in his word, we need to use his word to get excited about what he's done in our lives, about preaching the riches of his grace, about preaching the gospel, about passing on the gospel to those around us. Then he goes on to say, he wants us to know the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height of God's love. Here we see Paul trying to measure what is immeasurable, but it's fair to say only the Holy Spirit will be able to help us understand and measure God's love. So as we are in the Word, we need to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives to uh, measure God's love for us and to, to study God's Word and to understand God's love for us. And then the third petition that Paul prays for in verse 18 and 19, um, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. Now we see this, this prayer is actually a very short prayer. I know it's taken me long to go through this short prayer, but it's a very short prayer. Paul, in a very quick, short way, gives three petitions for the church of Ephesus, and I want to give you those three petitions um, today, or I want to pass those three petitions on for us here at Weavertown. The third petition Paul prays for is that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, how do we do that? How can we here at Weavertown be filled with all the fullness of God? He says that in the end of verse 19, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. In order to be filled with the fullness of God, we need to comprehend what? The love of God. And you say, well, that's not possible. How can I comprehend the love of God? I can't. That's beyond my imagination. I can't fathom that. And yet God, in a way, wants us gathered together like we do this morning, sit in our Sunday school classes, discuss the love of God, sing songs that move us towards the love of God, 
talk amongst each other about the love of God. So we, why? So we can comprehend it. And when we comprehend it, we become filled with the fullness of God. The fullness of God refers to who God is. In one sense, the absolute fullness of God is unknowable for us as humans. However, by God's grace, God chooses to communicate with us, offering us new life in Christ, indwelling us with his Holy Spirit, and ultimately filling us with all fullness. We as Christians are made through God's wonderful work of redemption to be filled with the fullness of God. Are we filled this morning? Some of us say, well, I still have more filling to do. I think we probably all have more filling to do. But that's why we gather together. That's what we do as a church. Um, God wants us, to comp- wants us to try to comprehend God's love for us. God wants us to understand and comprehend and know his love for us. That is, why Paul's pray- that is why Paul prays that we comprehend and know the love of God. And remember, we can do this by being rooted and grounded in love. And we can do this by staying in God's word. As Christians, we need to continually pray for ourselves and others that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith and that we would be rooted and grounded in love and that God will fill us with his fullness. So if you want something to pray about for our church in this coming week, pray for those three things for each one of us. If you see someone struggling in church, if we feel that we as a church are struggling, Let's pray about those three things, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we would truly have the faith that God wants us to have. We would be rooted and grounded in love, and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that brings us to the last two verses, the doxology. So Paul is in his prayer. He gives his three petitions, and he comes to the last part um, where he gives his doxology. The one you've heard many times given here at Weaver Town. Um, this not only concludes the prayer Paul is giving to the church of Ephesus, it's one for us at Weaver Town, but it concludes the last three chapters of theology and, deep, um, and the deep think, uh, learning that we've had in the first three chapters. And Paul and all of us, <clears throat> as we're here this morning, uh, we need to grasp this doxology. We need to take a look at this. I think we're probably a little bit like... Um, only touch the hem of his garment when it comes to understanding God's riches. But as we do that, let's get to the last part, the last um, part of his prayer. And we know these verses. Um, and I think Paul says, Paul says God wants to give us here at Weaver Town through his great riches super abundantly more than we ask or think. I'm just going to read those verses again. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul wants all of us to be able to do exceeding abundantly more than we ask or think. And I'd like to say maybe a little more clear. Paul wants us as a church to be able to do exceeding abundantly above more than we ask or think. And this isn't some supernatural power to do supernatural things, but it is the power to understand what Christ did for us, the power to grasp Christ's riches. And when we understand and grasp that, it will move us in a way that will bring others to church. It will move us in a way that will bring us together as a church. It will move us in a way that will make us want to work together and to um, share the gospel in a way that we've never had before. Let's kneel together for prayer.
Heavenly Father, we come to you now with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude for your great riches that you've given us. In many ways, we can't comprehend that, and yet you ask us um, to understand that revealed mystery and to share it to people around us. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would abide here in this church, and that first of all, that we would work together as a church, be united together as a church to share that gospel message to those around us. Help us to get excited about what you've done in our lives, about your great riches and about the change you've made in our lives and the change you want to make in our lives. Help us to grasp your love for us, your wonderful love. Help us to just be overwhelmed by that love in a way that we've never been before. And as we're overwhelmed with that love, that we would um, work together in a way that would share that gospel and reveal that mystery to people around us. Just um, continue to open our eyes, enlighten our eyes to your mystery and to your great love and your blessing you've given to us. Thank you for the church here at Weavertown. Just pray you be with us this week, and as we go about our week, just help us to be open to share and willing to share your riches to people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.